I got a question for you. Uh, who in here has met somebody famous? All right, I've met quite a few celebrities in my day. Uh, let's take it back a little bit. I met Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. Carter, I met Michael Jordan. Uh, that was a cool one. Michael Bay, director, Transformers, amongst other big films. I met him. Um, and a lot of other athletes, right? And we say these names and we, we meet these people and we're, we're like starstruck and we don't know what to say and we, we do awkward things and uh, we fumble over our words and it's like, oh, hey, mister. And you're like, this is a normal human being, but for some reason their celebrity has me shook right now. And uh, that's just how it is because our culture has said these people are so important and we should honor them by um, being really nervous around them. And um, that's kind of how it goes. But here's the, the crazy thing is that this type of celebrity, this starstruckedness, has also entered into the church. And that's the unfortunate thing. So I was at Passion 2020, which is a big conference for college students. I know, uh, I took some college students, okay? Uh, it's my free ticket in, which is great. So if you ever wanna go to Passion and you're like in your mid-30s, then just find some college kids and be like, you wanna go to Passion? And then you can go. Um, but it's this big, massive conference, 65,000 people. We rung in the new year. Uh, new Year's Eve was great, but we were there celebrating who God is, worshiping together. Um, but the biggest names in the Christian music and speaking circuit and like all of the hip hop artists, like they're all there for this weekend to do something, to have a part in it. And so if I say names, you may, under, you, may you know, recognize, you know, David Crowder was there, Hillsong United was there, Elevation Worship, the Passion Band was there, Carrie Job was there. Uh, then you got speakers like John Piper, Ravi Zacharias, you have Christine Kane, who if you haven't heard her speak, look up some of her stuff, she's great. Tim Tebow spoke. Um, Levi Lusco is a pretty big pastor. Uh, another one of these, because Sadie Robertson, okay, she's a daughter of a famous Doug Dynasty guy, um, but she spoke. Uh, then you got Lecrae, you got Tadashi, you got Tripoli, you got Social Club Misfits, you got Andy Minio. And uh, how many of you did I lose on the last line there? Like, Social Club Misfits? <laughs> they sound like a bunch of hooligans. Um, so, but I'm sitting there on the first night, and I'm like 20 feet from this VIP section where all of these names are seated. And just... I don't know, two rows in front of us, three rows in front of us, the whole bunch of college kids right here are like fangirling over all of these Christian artists and speakers as they start filing in. So they got their phones, they're taking pictures, oh my gosh, they're, you know, doing this, and they're, can you believe one, I heard this one girl go, there's Sadie Robertson's mom, and I'm like, who cares? <laughs> Sadie Robertson's mom, like, okay. Um, anyway, but they're like, they're like going crazy over these people, but it's this idea of celebrity, and we've, we've placed people into categories, and it's like, man, we need, to, we need to honor them, and I feel nervous around them because they're famous, and um, no, you don't matter, just, yeah, okay, climb over me, whatever, but look at those, you know, and so it's, it's this idea that, like, they are so important, more so than other people, and this idea has crept in, and that, um, that prospect, I think, of categorizing people uh, is, is a dangerous thing for us, especially in light of our passage this morning, and it's not just celebrity, by the way, it's every area of our life, every arena that, that we do life in, we somehow have categorized people and we have different you know, presuppositions about a certain person because of how they look or where they came from or whatever it is. And, and it's bled into the church world and into our minds and our lives and it's, it's just such a dangerous thing. So I wanna go to James chapter two. We're gonna continue on in our series through James. 
So James chapter two, go ahead and open up there. And I wanna, I wanna just read um, the last two verses of chapter one. They're kind of left hanging in the balance after last week. So I wanna make sure we, we bring those in because I do think they're important, especially as it applies to our text uh, this morning. And it really ties in well to what Matt preached on last week. But James 1, 26 and 27, here's what that says. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, when this letter was written, there weren't chapter breaks, right? You guys write, who writes letters anymore? If you write letters, do you put chapters in there? Like chapter two, last week, like you don't put chapters in your letters. It's, they didn't either, okay? When, when James wrote this, it was just a fluid letter all the way through. And so if we remove that chapter two title, then it, you'll see why that last verse there in verse 27 matters to where we're going today. Because it says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, what does it look like to keep oneself unstained from the world as he continues? Let's read verses one through 13 of chapter two. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now I wanna, I wanna go back through that passage and I wanna kinda break it down a little bit and really try to pull out some, some things that James is trying to communicate here uh, to this church. So, verse number one, he starts out by saying, show no partiality. Now, partiality defined would be an unfair bias, so an unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. In other words, favoritism. So you look at someone and you immediately place some sort of judgment or favoritism or categorization of that person because of whatever reason, right? But you look at them and you show them favor because of your presupposition about what's important, right? And so what he's, in other words, saying is don't play favorites in your life, show no partiality, don't play favorites as you live out your faith in Jesus. And, and then he adds a very important term to the end of that verse. He, he calls Jesus the Lord of glory. And that's very, very important as he's comparing 
the, the rich and the poor here in a few verses, and as he's talking about partiality. I heard a really good illustration this week by Francis Chan, who preached a message on this. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to borrow his illustration because I think it's so good, and I'm going to give him credit for it. But let's just imagine for a moment that we're sitting here, okay? So we have this idea of the Lord of glory. You're sitting in your seat, and you're getting ready for church to start. And uh, maybe you're one of those people, the seven of you that actually sit here before church starts, and you, you know, you're like ready, um, and not one of the other hundreds who are, you know, getting their coffee and donuts, and that's fine. Um, but you're sitting here, and you're just kind of, you're getting ready for the service, and you're trying to prepare your heart, and I'm not saying that no one else did, but you're sitting in your seat, okay? Let's get to the illustration. Um, and uh, someone comes and sits down next to you, and you're sitting there, and you're, you're in your, your moment, and you're like, you know, God, and you're praying, and you open your eyes, and you realize someone's sitting there, so you turn, and you look up, and you're like, oh my gosh, LeBron James. And uh, LeBron James is sitting next to you, right? And you're like sitting there, and then what do you start doing? You're like sweating, you know, knees weak, <laughs> mom's spaghetti. Um, but, you're, uh, but you're like super nervous, and your palms are sweating, and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I say? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, LeBron James, right? And as you're like finally starting to kind of calm down, you're like, get it together, get it together. Someone else sits down next to you, and you turn over, and you're like, oh my gosh, Justin Bieber. <gasps> oh my gosh. So you got LeBron James sitting here, you got Justin Bieber sitting here, and you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what do I say? Like, they're not normal humans, they're superstars, and you're like so nervous, right? And, and then church starts, and um, you know, maybe like 10 minutes into the worship, all of a sudden, supernatural stuff starts happening, and God descends onto this stage, and there's a throne, and he is sitting up here, and he lets us see just a little glimpse of his glory, because we can't possibly look on the fullness of his glory, but he lets us see a little glimpse of his glory. Do you think, in that moment, that you're looking upon the glory of God, that LeBron James and Justin Bieber will be a distraction to you? I think it's pretty safe to say no, because your attention is focused, you are blown away, you are in awe of the God of the universe and how he's showing you his glory. So when James says that he is the Lord of glory, what he's essentially saying is if you have a proper understanding of who God is in all of his glory, then nothing else will matter. So the celebrity, the popularity, the fame, the whatever I look at with favoritism, all of that just completely goes away because I am I'm just enthralled with the glory of God. So he uses that term because he's trying to bring the readers back to listen, you understand the glory of God. If you understand that, then nothing else will matter. So showing partiality is a, is a thing that we do, but if we keep our mind and our eyes focused on the glory of God, then, then it'll be so much easier to look at humanity as God looks at humanity. Here's the important thing to note, okay? The proper perspective of how God views humanity is this. You have, you have God, okay, and then you have humanity, you have people, right? You don't have, you don't have God and then you have celebrity and billionaire, millionaire, middle class, lower class. It's not how it works with God. It is God and it is people, all on the same level, right? All equal. That's how God views people. So we wanna have a proper perspective of humanity. We wanna see them as God sees them. Then we need to look at everybody as equal. Everybody as one species that are all created in the image of God. And then he moves on to verses two through four and he paints kind of a picture for them. Um, this could have been happening. He says, uh, 
if a man, so it's kind of a hypothetical, but this type of thing was happening in the church. So he says, listen, um, if a rich man comes in, and if he comes in and he has a gold ring and he's got fine clothing, right? So what he's saying is a gold ring would, would be translated gold fingers. So it wouldn't just be a gold ring, but maybe he had all kinds of gold rings. And they would even borrow gold rings to appear more wealthy. So he comes in and he's just like bling, bling, money ain't a thing, right? He's like got his rings all over his fingers. And then it says that he's got fine clothing. And that translation of fine is actually the same word that you see in Acts chapter 30, or chapter 10, verse 30, which means bright or shining. And it is the same word that's used for the heavenly beings. So what he's saying is he's got this outfit on that is just like bright and magnificent and he is flashy and he wants everyone to know that he's got money and he's got, you know, he's got prestige and, and he's got some fashion sense about him. Like he wants you to see him because look at how flashy he is. And then on the other side of things, you have this word for the poor man used, that's the word shabby. And the same word shabby is the word that we see that comes from James 1.21 when he says um, to, to put off the sinful filth uh, in our lives. So the same word for the, that sinful filth is the same word shabby. So you think about this, this filth and this, this kind of dirty, uh, like not put together, you know, hairs in a mess, and it's like, that's kind of how you view this person. So he's using this word of like filth and dirt. And these are the two, the two people that you have, this person who's flashy and wealthy and this person who's just dirty and, and poor. And, and what do they do? They say, hey, you uh, rich person, you come over here. We're going to put you in a place of honor. We're going to put you right front and center. We want you to have the best seat in the house. And then it says um, of the poor person, sit at my feet. In other words, the, the footstool, like the place of dishonor, right? You sit at the feet, Feet are filthy, feet are dirty. That's why it was such a huge deal that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It was unheard of for a teacher to do that. So he says, listen, you just, just sit at my feet, okay? You just, just kind of get out of the way. Just sit down here, uh, out of the way. We don't want people to see you. Just, you know, just sit over there. So they, they have this different way of treating people. And uh, in verse 3, he also says that they have to tell them where to sit. So the implication is that these people are visitors of this particular church, so if they had to instruct them, hey, you come sit here, hey, you come sit here, they probably came in as visitors and they're trying to, to kind of move them into a place to sit. You think that poor person ever went back to that church? I would, I would wager to say probably not. Um, so you have this, this contrast. He's calling them out. And then um, he starts to really emphasize his point here. So, so verse 5 and verse 6a, um, he says this. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Think back to the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the, the blessed statements and think about what Jesus says about the poor. In fact, in two translations, in, in, uh, in the book of Luke, you have him saying, blessed are the poor. And in, in the book of Matthew, you have him saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. So the different translations, poor could mean uh, a financial poverty. It could mean that you don't have a lot of money uh, materialistically, you're, you're poor. Or it could be that you're poor in spirit. You're spiritually depraved. You're spiritually without hope. I think both of those translations would work to what we're talking about. So he, he basically says, look, you're treating this poor person with dishonor, but look at how God views the poor. Not just how he views them, but it says he chose the poor. He chose them to be heirs. He chose them to be a part of his family. Have any of you ever been on a mission trip to a third world country? Anyone ever been somewhere 
Yeah, so one of the things that we hear said a lot, and, and I've said this, but one of the things you hear said a lot, especially when you go somewhere that's just really, really heavy on the poverty side, um, you, you hear this statement, man, they had nothing, or they had so little, but yet they were so happy. They had such joy. Why? Because when you are poor, let's talk about financially first, when you're poor and you don't have a whole lot, uh, and you don't have a lot to hold on to, when you experience God and you understand the glory of God and the blessings that he bestows on you, then it doesn't matter what you don't have because you have the greatest gift that's ever been offered to the world. So people who don't have a lot, you tend to see like this, this supernatural joy that comes out of them because they understand what they truly have and what truly matters. So the material possessions don't really matter. That's, that's not important to them, right? They, they need and want enough to get by. They trust enough uh, God to give them enough to get by, but they don't need all the possessions because they understand what God has done for them. And then you can take it to the spiritual side as well, right? You think about spiritual poverty and you think about someone who is spiritually destitute and who has no hope and, and who is struggling and, and they're weighed down by life and they're like, there's no way out of this, I have no hope. And then Jesus comes and just blindsides them and they experience him in all his fullness and they go, oh my gosh, hope beyond measure and, and a relationship that gives me so much and so that spiritual poverty that I had is now completely full and overflowing because of what God did for my life. So there's a, there's a stark difference when you have someone who's poor or poor in spirit and then when they experience God and what their life looks like then. But you also see all throughout scripture warnings given to those who are rich, right? You see, you see that, it's, that the scripture says um, it's harder for a rich man, right, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Like you imagine that happening, that's like, it is impossible. And now it's not impossible for a rich man to get into heaven, but the point is when you have a lot, when you have everything that you need and more, why would you need God? Why do you need him to give you anything? Because look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. I've got a comfortable life, I drive really nice cars, I've got this amazing house, I've got a, I've got a great family, I've got great whatever, a great job, and look at all this stuff that I've built, and you, you completely push God out because why do I need him? Look what I've done, look what I have, what can he offer me? And so there's a danger, there's warnings. Now it's obviously not saying that rich people don't go to heaven, because we know that's not true. But there's, in scripture, more of an emphasis on God reaching the poor, the poor financially, the poor in spirit. And so what James is saying is he's saying, look, you're, you're shunning these people, the same people that God chose to be a part of his family. So you're dishonoring them by the way in which you are treating them. And then he moves on and he really starts to emphasize this point even more in verse 6b and verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, are not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So, so he pretty much brings three charges against the rich people here. He says, look, you're showing them favor, but are they not the ones who oppress you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court, taking advantage of you financially? Are they not the ones who are taking advantage of your situation? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the name of God? the ones who are smearing his name, who are mocking you for your belief, but yet you wanna take them and sit them in a position of prominence and you wanna honor them in that way? Look what they're doing to you. He's like, you foolish people. How could you treat them that way when they're treating you this way, 
right? And, and when he says he blasphemed the name of God, it may not be that they're only mocking them with their words. I mean, that was happening. They were, they were making fun of them. They were, they were, you know, talking bad about the believers and about God. But it also could have been um, that they were criticizing the claims about Jesus, right? Like, well, you, how can you say that he's the Savior? How can you say that he was, you know, resurrected? How could you say that he's God on the same level as God? How could you say, how could you say, and they're mocking their belief in, in who Jesus is. Maybe it's that they're making fun of their morality and, and their practices, what they do. Maybe it's, wow, you're, you, know, you won't do this or you abstain from this or like, come on, have a little fun or like live a little, right? Like seriously, and they're making fun of their, their morality and they're making fun of, of their practices and, and what they do in, in a church setting. And um, maybe, it's, um, maybe it's that, but no matter the case, you're elevating these people. I mean, come on. And, and that sounds so much like today. Doesn't it? Like, I'm not saying that we're elevating these people necessarily, but the way in which people talk about God and the way in which they reject our claims about Christ and the way in which they mock how we do things or, you know, the, the, the beliefs that we have or how stupid you, could you be to believe in that or believe this or whatever. And so that same uh, oppression of the church is happening today. And, and so it's still true, but he's saying, look, they're, they're oppressing you. Like, they're treating you so unfairly, but you're still, you're still putting that person up here on, on a pedestal. And so it's just, it's just so silly. So he's calling them on their, on their foolishness. And then he gets down to, to verse 8 and 9, uh, and he, he gives them two conditional if-then statements. This is where he really starts wrapping things up. So here's the illustration. Here's the way you're treating people. Here's your view of people. Here's how you've been honoring and dishonoring. Oh, by the way, he says, if you are doing that, then you're, you're sinful. Showing partiality is a sin, right? He says in verse eight and nine, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So the two if-then statements that we see here, number one, if you keep the royal law, then you are doing well. If you keep the royal law, then you're doing well for yourself. However, if you show partiality, then you are committing sin. So you have these, these two contrasting statements, if-then statements. Now, the royal law that is stated, he, he says it's, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to break that down a little bit, because that's something that, you know, the, the golden rule, we throw that out there, we teach it to our kids, and you treat your neighbor as yourself. Okay, um, that's easy to get into our head, but to live that out is a lot harder. So I want to break that down. Galatians 5.13, it says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. So we're set free, Galatians says, we are set free from our sins. We are forgiven, and now we are to live in that freedom. And the way that we live in that freedom, according to Paul in Galatians, is by serving one another in love. That's how we live out that freedom, by serving one another through love. In other words, as believers, the natural fruit that should be evident in our life at the core is love. That's the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can go a step further. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that if, you know, if we speak the language of angels, let's say that you have this heavenly language that you can speak. If you can speak that language, it doesn't matter if you don't have love. He says that you can know all that there is to know. You can have all the wisdom in the world. You can know every single fact about everything in the whole entire world, and you can have the deepest wisdom known to man, but all of it without love is worthless knowledge. And then he says, we can give everything we own to the poor. 
You can, you, can, you can sell your house. You can sell everything you have. You can give it all to the poor. What a great sacrifice. But if you don't do it out of love, it means nothing. See, everything that we do, if love because of Jesus, if love is not at the center of it, then it is completely meaningless. This is what Paul says. And then let's take it even a step further. Because in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So not only is love meant to be at the center, it is the royal law that was ushered in by Christ, uh, that, that idea of love, because he said, hey, there's two great things, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. So, so I want you to love, love, love. If love is not at the center, you don't understand who God is. If you aren't treating people with dignity and respect and honor because of what Jesus did for you and through love, you don't know God. You are not living in such a way that honors God. Do you even understand God's love for you? If you can be changed by the gospel and be overwhelmed by the love of God but can't love others in return, then what's the point? That's what he's saying, right? Love has to be at the center, but you are not getting it. You're not understanding because you're not loving in the way that God loves. That's a pretty hard passage when you think about, I know when I think about my life and how I sometimes treat people, right? You go, man, if I, if I really understood God, how would I have interacted with that person differently? How would I have treated that person differently? Would I have given to this person or would I have whatever? And you go to the what ifs, what ifs, should I have? God is love. We need to be loving as well. It should drive everything that we do. And then you get to verses 10 through 13, he kind of wraps up um, this passage and he talks about, uh, you know, basically you have the law of God and if you, if you break one little thing in the law of God, then you've pretty much broken the whole law, right? One pastor says it like this, he says, God's law is not like a setup of 10 bowling pins, which we knock down one at a time. It more resembles a pane of glass in which a break at one point means the entire pane is broken. So in other words, when you sin, you've broken all of God's law and you need complete redemption and reconciliation. Now, fortunately for us, we have that through Christ on the cross, but his point is um, partiality, when you show partiality, if you're living in that way, then you are sinful. Disobedience to one section of God's law, this section, any section, makes you a sinner, plain and simple. He wraps up this section talking about mercy, and he talks about judgment, and he talks about, um, you know, if Basically, the way that you treat people is the way you're going to be treated one day at judgment. So if you aren't showing mercy to people, you're not going to be shown mercy. If you're showing mercy to people, you're going to be shown mercy. If you judge people, then God's going to judge you. If you judge people harshly, then God's going to judge you harshly. There's a, there's a correlation between the two, he says. So he's kind of just ending his point with don't judge people because, one, you're going to be judged, and, two, that's not the mind of God. Instead, show mercy. Right, show, show mercy, be merciful because God was merciful to you. And so he kind of ends with, with that thought. Now I wanna, I wanna take it and I wanna um, really apply it to us because I do think it's very applicable. And um, we could have taken this passage a lot of different ways this morning. I mean, there's so many, uh, so many thoughts and so many um, applications for us. And, and maybe, maybe as I was talking, maybe you know, going through this passage verse by verse, you were, you were hit in some way. Maybe you were convicted, maybe you were challenged by, by something. Uh, maybe you had an interaction this week where you go, man, I, I totally did that, right? Like I, I didn't treat that person like I would have treated that person or I looked down on them because of this or I passed them by or, or whatever it is. Like maybe you can think of something that's happened to you. And I think, I know this is so important today, right now, 2020, with the current state of our, our country and our world. 
to be able to understand this idea of showing no partiality because no matter what you want to say, we're not going to get into it because it's not the right platform, but we can all agree that we are a very divided country right now. And I believe that the solution lies within the walls of the church and then them going out and changing things. Because if anybody understands equality, it should be us because of the mind of God. But we've done this at some point of our, in our lives, maybe a lot. Maybe it's just kind of the natural way that we do things, the, the, the sin of partiality. It can sneak into our words. It can sneak into our actions. Let me ask you this. Um, you're getting off the highway, and on the corner there is, uh, is a homeless person, okay? And, and they're out there, and they have their sign, and, and they have their gear with them. And um, immediately, what do we do? Start judging that person. It's kind of the natural thing, right? Um, so here's the question, right? Do you, when, you, when you drive up to that person, and maybe you are the front of the line, so you're right next to them, um, is this you? Like looking straight ahead, like please walk backwards. Don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me. If I don't make eye contact, I won't feel as shameful. Uh, like, you know, you're just like looking straight. Um, are you the one who like, it's a really nice day out, so maybe you're like cruising with the windows down, and like you pull up and you're like... The window's like slowly going up because I don't want to talk to that person. Because <laughs> you immediately make a judgment call. Maybe it's I'm not giving them money because what are they going to do with that money, right? Where does all of our minds go? They're going to take this money, they're going to go buy drugs because that's just what homeless people do. It's, it's, well. So we have, this, we have this immediate judgment of people. Um, and by the way, what he's saying in this passage and all over scripture about judging people is um, judging is not up to you. Judging is up to God. So if you're placing a judgment on that person, let me just give you a couple passages here that aren't in my notes. Um, if you're judging a person based on what you think might happen, like, hey, here's a homeless person, I got five bucks in my pocket, but if I give it to them, they're gonna go spend it on drugs. Uh, that's not up to you. You know what's up to you? Jesus says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. Well, no, I didn't. What do you mean? Oh, yes, you did. Because remember that homeless person on the corner that said, I'm hungry? Did you try to help? No, you assumed that he was going to take the money and use it for drugs. So to the least of these, my brothers, you do it. So if he's going to take that money, if he's going to take that money or she's going to take that money and do something that they shouldn't do with it, that is between them and God. But your responsibility as a believer, not, I'm not just saying money, but in some way is to try to help them. Maybe, you know, I, we, a few years back, um, CV, I saw her over here. She was calling. She had a heart for this person that it was freezing outside. He was outside on the, on the corner. Um, so we tried to do something for him. So, I, you know, instead of going and giving him money, I went and picked him up, or I met him at uh, Wendy's, and I bought him lunch. And we just sat there and talked. And I, he ate lunch, and, you know, we, I was able to share the gospel with him. And then we put him up in a hotel one night because why? God called us to do something. Now, now I'm, don't hear me patting myself on the back, but there's more things you can do than just handing out money. But if you're not even doing anything, if you see someone who's in need and you just completely push them off, you don't even consider what you can do, you don't try to help them, then you have immediately, subconsciously, maybe you don't realize it, but you've placed, placed judgment on that person. And James is saying, look, that's a sin. That's a sin for you to look past them and past their needs. Because what is our responsibility on this earth? One, it's to glorify God, but two, it's to take the gospel. And what does the gospel look like? It looks like loving other, other people through the way that we serve them. But we don't do that because we show partiality. We don't wanna be associated, we don't wanna do something, we don't wanna be uncomfortable, we don't wanna give of ourselves or our money for somebody who we don't know what they're gonna do with that stuff. And that's kind of our mindset. So we, we pull up to the corner and we look straight ahead or we put our window up and it's so 
backwards. It's such a backwards way of thinking. If we were living like God, you know what we do? We put that thing in park. We pull off the side of the road. We get out of our car. We would go and sit with that person. We would talk to them. We would hear about their story. We would pray with them. We would share the gospel with them. We would try to do anything we could to, to fulfill their, their material poverty and then uh, their spiritual poverty, right? That's what we would do. But we don't do that because we're in a hurry. I got to get here. I got to go buy the new shoes. I got to go do this. The new iPhone came out. I got to go stand in a five-hour line because I got to get the iPhone. And uh, you know, I need my money for that. And, and we, we're so backwards in our thinking. Um, and, and it's such a shame because that has come out of the world and has crept into the church. And um, you think about God, okay? We categorize people by the way they look, by, by how they dress, by the job that they have, by the amount of letters at the end of their name, uh, by whatever, right? And all of those things could not matter any less to God. Couldn't matter any less. God doesn't care about how much money you make. God doesn't care about the job that you hold. God doesn't care about the house that you live in. God doesn't care about the car that you drive. God doesn't care about all the degrees on your wall. You know what God cares about? It says in the Old Testament, he cares about your heart. God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. That's what he cares about. That's why he can view people equally. Because all of that stuff that we deem as so important or so respectable or so honorable or so great or so prestigious, all of those things, God says, that does not matter to me. I care about the person's heart. Why? Because they were created in my image. I knew them before the foundation of the world. I created them and knit them in their mother's womb. By the way, Jesus who died, he died for those people because I love them so much. What are you doing about it? Is your mind in line with God's mind? Are we viewing people in that way? Because that's exactly what this passage is telling us to do. The worth, our worth, our self-worth, our identity should all be found in the fact that God sent his son to die for us and we should take that out into the world. All right, now I'm gonna do this real quick because I know there's some people in here who are like, give me some bullet points because I learn better with structure. Um, so I'm gonna give you three bullet points, okay? Uh, and I, I don't, I don't know if you realize that when I preach, I don't do a lot of bullet points just because I like talking and I just like kind of whatever comes out, comes out. Um, but here's three main points, okay? Um, three dangers of showing partiality. So in verses two through four, here's point number one. Partiality reveals a judging heart. Partiality reveals a judging heart. When we show partiality for any reason, whether we realize it or not, we have already assumed something about that person, and that is judging. Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. It's not the only scripture that talks about judging, but if we have a proper view of people, God, all of humanity, then we won't be bent on um, judging or having certain ideas about somebody. Number two, Partiality dishonors people created in the image of God. Uh, this is a pretty, pretty huge one, I think. Romans 12, 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Doesn't matter where a person is from. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter what their background is. Can I say that one more time, okay? Doesn't matter where they're from. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what their background is, every human being on this earth has been created in the image of God. And if we don't look at them as such, we are dishonoring them, and we are dishonoring God. Our mindset must change if we're to see our world change. 
Number three, partiality causes us to sin. Not a whole lot to say there, except for that uh, when we show favoritism. He says that's, that's sinful. You see that all through the Old Testament, by the way, too. God is not a God of partiality. God is not a God of partiality. God shows no partiality. Sinful behavior is placing judgment on, showing partiality to and favoritism to people. And so when we, sh- when we show partiality, when we show favoritism, it causes us to sin. Here's what I think. I think if we as individuals have a proper mindset of God and the way he views people and we respect everybody as we respect the next person, I think it will play out tremendously in this church. I think we'll change our city. I think we'll change our country. And I think the world will be changed as believers if we can live in that way. So let me pray. And uh, worship team, you guys can come on out. We'll sing a few more songs to end things today. God, thanks for today and thanks for your word. And um, God, this is, this is so important for us today, when you see so much division, so much conflict, so much judging of people because of certain things, because of their beliefs, because of their politics, because of where they grew up, because of what they look like, automatically we place people in categories and, and we associate with certain people and we, and we don't want to associate with others because of those, those ideas and those presuppositions and, and that that favoritism that maybe we even, don't even know is there. God, I pray that you would use your spirit to, to challenge us and convict us this morning. I pray that you would give us an opportunity, all of us, all the few hundred of us that are here, give us an opportunity today um, to live this out. Bring someone into our lives that we can serve, that we can give to, that we can have a conversation with, regardless of what we might have thought about that person weeks ago, months ago, years ago. Bring someone into our life. Let us practice this. Let us, let us share the gospel with people that we don't look like, that we don't live near, that um, we don't typically work with. God, break down these barriers. Break down the walls that separate and divide us. God, I pray that you would just completely obliterate this in the church and that we would see no partiality in our church, that we would only see people loving people because they're made in your image and that's it. Equality among every human being. That's what I pray, God. I pray that that revolution starts within the walls of the church and then that bleeds out into the world. We love you so much, God. Just give us a great time of worship as we reflect and um, as we we finish out uh, before your throne in worship. We love you. Son's name, amen.